Hey, I'm Nancy Cavey. I'm an ERISA and individual disability attorney, and I want to welcome you to Winning Isn't Easy. Before we get started, I've got to give you a legal disclaimer. The Florida Bar tells me that I have to tell you that this podcast is not legal advice. However, I will tell you that nothing will ever stop me from giving you an easy-to-understand overview of the disability insurance world, the games that disability carriers play, and what you need to know to get the disability benefits you deserve. Ready? Now, I know making the decision to reduce your hours and apply for residual disability benefits or to make the difficult decision to stop work completely and apply for total disability benefits can be tough. I watched my dad make this decision many years and he agonized over it. It took him a couple years to finally decide that he was going to stop work and apply for his benefits. Now, you may think that once you've made that decision and you've filed your disability insurance application, that your first disability check is going to be FedEx to you overnight, just within hours of you applying for your benefits. Well, I know your doctor supports your claim and maybe your employer supports your claim, but I will tell you that's not the way it happens. Disability carriers are going to be reviewing your application from three different perspectives. The first is, what are the terms of your policy or plan that are applicable to your claim? Secondly, what's the sufficiency of the medical proof that establishes that you're disabled as that term is defined by your policy or plan? And your occupation, as that term is also defined by your policy or plan? And whether or not you're unable to perform the material and substantial duties of that occupation. In this multi-part series, I have been talking about occupational factors. I've already covered the topics of what your specific occupational duties were prior to the onset of disability, what were the specific uh, mental and physical requirements associated with each and every duty, how long you performed each one of these duties in the course of an average day or week, how the disability carrier goes about verifying your occupational duties, how important the date of onset is as it relates to what your occupation was, the status of your license, the results of those data base and social media searches that the disability carrier and plan are going to do, the results of the criminal background checks that they are going to do, and the results of their unemployment uh, background check that they are, have done on you. A lot of background work, isn't it? But today, I want to switch um, topics a little bit, a little focus difference. What we're going to talk about today is, do you have a job to return to? Are there situational factors that impact your motivation to return to work? And these are the kind of stupid questions that the carrier is going to ask you when you apply for benefits. And I want to give you an example of how one disability carrier rejected a claim and was ultimately overturned by a disability carrier. And this disability disabled policyholder had scheduled electroshock treatments and the disability carrier claimed that that was to bolster their claim when the position was eliminated. So we've got some great topics to talk about today. Before we start in, let's take a short break. Have you been robbed of your peace of mind from your disability insurance carrier? You owe it to yourself to get a copy of Robbed of Your Peace of Mind which provides you with everything you need to know about the long-term disability claim process. Request your free copy of the book at kvlaw.com today. 
Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. All right, you may be asked by the disability carrier this question. Do you have a job to return to? Now, the disability carrier or plan administrator is going to contact you at regular intervals and have you fill out activity of daily living forms. One of the questions you're going to get on these forms is, do you have a job to return to? So why are they asking you that question? Some policies say that if your employer can make reasonable accommodations for your disability, you have to try to go back to work or your claim is going to be denied. Now, policies may also provide vocational services to assist you in returning to work. Obviously, the disability carrier wants to pay you as little as possible. And if the disability carrier understands that there uh, is an opportunity to return you to work, either with your employer or some other employer, they want to make sure that you are offered this opportunity and take advantage of it. Now, I also want you to remember that many disability policies or plans have recurrent disability policy provisions that say if you become disabled again from the same medical condition in a specific period of time, generally six months, you can claim disability again without having to satisfy the elimination period. Now, that can make any attempt to return to work more like a trial work period rather than one that can result in your ultimate claims denial. I think that the policy language is, or plan language is key. I want you to read it cover to cover and I want you to pay particular attention to whether or not there are any reasonable accommodation provisions in the plan or policy. Because if there is, then you um, might want to say that in response to this question that you're unaware of whether you have a job to return to but that if the employer could accommodate your restrictions and limitations of X, Y, and Z, that you would be more than happy to attempt a return to work um, and to do so consistent with your physician's restrictions and limitations. Now, again, I also want you to pay particular attention to that recurrent disability provision because if ultimately you do go back to work, uh, we want to take a hard look at that provision because I treat these as trial work periods. If you go back to work and you're beginning to have problems, then we want to make sure that they're documented in your medical records because if, you, if you're having trouble and you can't do it, we want to make sure that your doctor is taking you back out of work again and certainly well before that recurrent disability provision kicks in. Got it? Now, do you have a job to return to? Now you know how to answer that question. Let's take a break. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. Now, many times disability carriers are going to ask you stupid questions. And one of the stupid questions that I think are there on these forms that you have to fill out is, are there situational factors that impact your motivation to return to work? Okay, so the disability carrier is looking for a reason to dispute and to deny a disability insurance claim. And Stupid questions are just part of this whole process. Now, this question goes to your motivation. I know you've worked hard in your occupation. I know you've taken great pride in what you do and how you help people, and you're probably damn good at your job. But now you're facing physical, cognitive, or psychological challenges that make it difficult, if not impossible, to work. 
And I think the last thing you need to be questioned about is your motivation. But you're going to get bullcrap questions, and I'm going to go through these questions. And the purpose of these questions is to basically create a reason, quote unquote, for you to be unmotivated to go back to work and to remain on the rolls of the disability insurance uh, policy uh, uh, gravy train wagon, if you will. So what are some of the questions? Are you taking care of a parent? Why is that important? Well, if you're taking care of a parent and your uh, disabling condition, for example, limits your ability to sit, stand, walk, bend, or uh, lift, and you're taking care of a parent, that kind of activity can be inconsistent with your claimed disability. Do you have a disabled child? Same thing. They're looking for inconsistencies between your reported restrictions and limitations and um, your physical uh, capabilities as it relates to uh, taking care of that disabled child. Now, of course, taking care of a parent or a disabled child is, I believe, you know, our obligation uh, as members of a family. Uh, that doesn't mean that the disability carrier isn't going to uh, conclude that you're really motivated to take care of your family uh, and are looking for an alternative source of income, which is the disability benefits, as opposed to really, really, really being disabled. Another question I'm going to ask is, are you having child care issues? Well, certainly uh, having child care issues can be a problem working for those of us who have or had uh, children. We know what it's like. Uh, but again, I think that's another bullcrap question to try to uh, um, question your motivation for applying for disability benefits. Are you having problems at work? Don't you hate your supervisors or coworkers? Have you been written up? All of those are workplace uh, setting type questions. Uh, and the purpose of this, again, is to show that you're just claiming disability benefits because you're unhappy at work or they're unhappy with you and this is just a way for you to sit home and collect these uh, benefits without having to deal with all the hassle of work and the commute and dealing with your unhappy or disgruntled or nasty coworkers or supervisors. Another question is going to be, is your job being eliminated? And I'm going to talk about that in greater detail. Are you afraid uh, you're going to be terminated or laid off? Are you a member of a union that's striking? Again, these are all uh, work-related issues that allegedly can Im uh, you know, result in them questioning your motivation. Because if your job is being eliminated, they're thinking, ah, they're going to be looking for a reason uh, to file a claim. Um, and they're looking at, at that as a way to question your motivation and ultimately to question your doctor about your motivation or your presentation. Is your job being eliminated? Are you afraid of being terminated, laid off? You know, those are the all, all sorts of questions that I think you, again, have to be very careful of answering. If you don't know if your job is being eliminated, say, I'm not aware of my job being eliminated. No, I'm not afraid of being terminated. I'm not afraid of being laid off. I'm a valuable employee who's contributed many years of service to this company. Are you a member of a union that's striking? Well, if you're a member of a union, that's great. Um, but um, you might say that I'm not currently aware of any plans that our union has to strike. The next set of questions I, I really take a lot of offense to. Um, are you separated? Are you getting a divorce? Now, why is that important? 
Well, because depending on the nature of this divorce or even child care or custody issues, um, they're going to be looking to that, that soon-to-be ex-spouse or the ex-spouse as a source of information, and I put that word in quotes, dirt I really mean, uh, about you and whether or not you're disabled or not. Because your disability potentially is going to be an issue as part of any divorce and custody. Um, you want to obviously establish that you do have a disability that may make you entitled to a greater amount of child support or alimony, but you don't want to be so disabled that you lose custody. So uh, those are particular issues. And when I have those come up in my uh, cases, I'm always talking to the divorce attorney about what's going on and what we're doing and how that might impact both the divorce case and the disability case. Another question is going to be, is your ex-spouse paying child support or alimony and are they current? In my view, that's none of their damn business. Um, will the alimony or child support be increased if you're disabled? Again, you know, none of your damn business. Um, if it is, then certainly that will be part of any uh, court finding or, or agreement, but that's, you know, after the fact. Again, if that's going to be happening, you should be working closely not only with your divorce attorney, but with your ERISA disability attorney or IDI attorney to make sure that this information, if it's discoverable, is not going to adversely impact your LTD claim. And I promise you, they're going to be doing uh, searches on LinkedIn, and they're going to be, as we've talked about before, looking for issues involving criminal violations. And that's particularly true if you're a professional. If you're a medical doctor and you're having uh, potential criminal issues associated, for example, with Medicare billing issues um, or malpractice issues, that's always going to be fair game for the uh, disability carrier. Now, you've got a duty to cooperate, and if you're asked those questions, I think it's time for you to stop being asked those questions uh, by calling an experienced ERISA disability attorney. As I said, some of these questions I think are beyond the pale, and I think you need the assistance of an experienced attorney to help uh, navigate through these questions and how to formulate a proper and accurate answer. Got any questions? Send us an email and I would love to answer the questions associated with these bullshit questions that you get from disability insurance carriers or plan providers. Ready for a break? Are you a professional with questions about your individual disability policy? You need the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. This book gives you a comprehensive understanding of your disability policy with tips and to-dos regarding your disability application that will assist you in submitting a winning disability application. This is one you won't want to miss. For the next 24 hours, we are giving away free copies of the Disability Insurance Claim Survival Guide for Professionals. Order yours today at disabilityclaimsforprofessionals.com. Welcome back to Winning Isn't Easy. In the last segment, I mentioned that one of the questions you might get is, is your job being eliminated? I'm going to tell you the story about how a disability carrier denied benefits on the basis that the disabled policyholder scheduled, purposely scheduled electroshock treatments to bolster their disability claim because they knew their position was being eliminated. This is the case of Cheryl versus Sun Life. It's a case out of uh, the Chicago area, and it's literally shocking. 
Cheryl suffered from depression, anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia throughout her career as a research coordinator at the University of Chicago. And in early 2020, her psychiatric problems worsened to the point where electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, was recommended. Simultaneously with this, um, she was advised that her position was being terminated in several months due to the lack of funding. She, of course, filed a claim for her disability insurance benefits based on her psychiatric condition and scheduled the ECT treatment as recommended by her physicians. Now, Sun Life, who was a disability carrier, denied the claim, and this case ultimately ended up in front of a federal judge. Sun Life took the position that she wasn't totally disabled because she had managed her psychiatric condition for the last 10 years, and she would have likely, in their estimation, continued her job had her position not been terminated. And the court took issue with the idea that Sun Life floated, that the timing of this claim was based on an ulterior motive. I mean, doesn't everybody have electroconvulsive therapy treatment just to file a claim for disability benefits? Now, the judge, as I as indicated, was not happy with Sun Life. They cherry-picked the medical records. Unfortunately for Cheryl, the judge was able to review this case under a de novo standard of review, which means that they got to review the record in, and uh, could substitute their own judgment from that of, the, of uh, Sun Life. Now, um, the judge said, look, I'm looking at these medical records, and I can see that her psychiatric condition was clearly deteriorating in the months prior to the announcement of the position being terminated. And agreed with the assessment of her treating physicians that she was disabled uh, and needed to undergo those electroconvulsive therapy treatments. The court commented that it would be extraordinarily improbable that Cheryl's physician, physicians perceived and recommended, perceived that she needed them and recommended the EC treatment solely for the purposes of bolstering her disability claim. That kind of treatment, the court noted, is only reserved for severe psychiatric conditions when less effective treatments have been uh, uh, tried and have been unsuccessful. So this is a pretty darn significant type of treatment. And the judge recognized that. The judge awarded her benefits and dismissed Sun Life's bogus reasons for the claims denial. So can you see now how a disability carrier or a plan is going to use any reason to deny a claim? I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Winning Isn't Easy. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider liking our page, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends and family. Please subscribe to the podcast. That way you're going to be notified every time that a new episode comes out. I hope you tune in next week for another insightful episode of Winning Isn't Easy.